Welcome to the Carecast. Well, hello everyone and welcome to the final episode of the Carecast for 2020. We're going to be doing a little year in review, looking back at what has been a somewhat challenging and turbulent year for many of us. Um, but our work at Care has continued to go on, so we're just going to be looking back at what's been going on with us, what's been going on in Parliament uh, throughout the year. And I'm joined by my colleague, James Mildred, who is Head of Communications at Care. Thank you for joining me, James. Oh, it's great to be with you, Naomi. Thanks for uh, having me on the Carecast. You're very welcome. Um, so let's start uh, by looking at um, what was a, uh, a very interesting start to the year. We had a new government. Um, what was your reaction to um, the, the kind of prospects for, for 2020 with this, this new government in place? Yeah, it's really interesting because we, we had a careful look at all the manifestos of the different political parties uh, prior to the 2019 general election, which took place, as I'm sure you will all remember, on the 12th of December 2019, a hallowed day. And uh, I think we, we spotted a number of areas of concern in all of the manifestos, particularly on life issues, uh, abortion, and, and uh, some indication as well, perhaps hinting towards changes at the end of life in some manifestos. I think we we recognize that was part of a general trend that we've seen going on of things not really moving in a very helpful direction when it comes to the value of uh, unborn children and also uh, those at the end of their life. But there were also uh, areas of promise. Uh, for example, the commitment in the Conservative Party manifesto to uh, do a review of current gambling legislation. That's something that uh, we thought was a really good idea. So it was sort of a mixed feeling, really, and, and surprised then at the outcome. I mean, I, I deliberately didn't try and predict what was going to happen because I've got the uh, 2015 election wrong, the 2016 EU referendum wrong, I've got the 2017 election wrong. So I just stayed quiet and didn't predict anything. <laughs> but um, it, it's interesting in the British Westminster <clears throat> parliamentary system, uh, one party having a majority uh, tends to mean the system works better because that's how it's been designed. And I think uh, we entered the new year, we, we put out a graphic uh, on our Facebook and Twitter where we said, this is what we want you know, the government to do, uh, focused on care's causes. And as I look back, we have seen progress on some of them and on some of them, we've, we've gone backwards. Which is actually quite amazing that we've made some progress given that nobody could have predicted uh, what was gonna happen this year with this global pandemic around February, March time, as, as we all know very well, um, things have been very disrupted this year. And yet we have actually seen some of our issues come up in parliament and our work has con continued. Um, what, is, what has work been like for, for you at CARE and, and, and what's your observations on kind of major things that, that have been going on with us um, as, as we began life in this pandemic uh, around March time? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I remember going into multiple meetings in uh, the back end of February and definitely they intensified as March progressed and it became clear that we were experiencing something unparalleled, something unique in our experience. Uh, like many organizations and charities, we had to go and work from home. So I spent uh, March, April, May and June and most of July and August uh, working from uh, my bedroom in my flat. I was living uh, in Tooting at the time. So I was waking up and showering, having my breakfast and then getting to work uh, in the same space pretty much, which uh, was unusual and strange and not always fun. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I was, I was very blessed in that I had somewhere that was warm and safe and secure to work. 
I think from from CARE's point of view, we learned very quickly uh, all of the benefits of Zoom and uh, also learned all of the downsides as well. Um, and I think because MPs were initially sent home as well, uh, lobbying just looked a little bit different. It, it looked like phone calls and Zoom calls and uh, so on and so forth. And a lot of lobbying is done through email anyway, and that just carried on. And I think that was the big thing we kept trying to say to people was, you know, the work of government is carrying on and there are changes being made, this extraordinary amount of powers that the government gave itself in order to tackle this pandemic in the emergency legislation it passed at the end of March, the Coronavirus Act 2020, which had very little scrutiny because it was an emergency and allowed the government to make decisions without MPs having any say or input into those decisions. And almost immediately there was these shenanigans over allowing women to take both abortion pills at home during the pandemic, which we were told was a temporary measure. Well, in fact, it was even more of a fiasco. It was announced and then it was withdrawn. And then there was a backlash from the pro-choice groups. And then the government did actually end up announcing it and said, this is temporary. There's a sunset clause. And actually, you know, it was through the work that we did behind the scenes that we managed to help get that sunset clause put in place. Um, and of course, now, uh, as we as we look ahead, uh, the government is consulting on whether to extend uh, both abortion pills, taking them at home to carry on after the emergency powers come to an end. But the very fact that they're consulting rather than just assuming that they'll go ahead, that is actually uh, and it doesn't sound like it, but it is actually a partial win uh, for Christians and pro-life groups, because it was thanks to the efforts of MPs like Fiona Bruce, a, a great Christian and pro-life advocate and with the support of groups like CARE and others that were even in this situation where it's not necessarily a given and there is an opportunity to, to make your voice heard. So yeah, the big thing has been the work of government has carried on. There's still been huge challenges on a number of fronts. And so CARE's work has been as busy and intense as it ever has been. It's just the, the, uh, the way that we work has had to adapt and shift and, and praise God for, for his help in, in enabling us to do that. Absolutely, yeah. And so, so let's talk about some of the things that have been going on in, in Parliament um, mm -hmm. through throughout the year and the different seasons. So, you mentioned that the home abortions um, uh, case that was that was going on, um, and of course, we saw um, our friends at Christian Concern were challenging that um, in, and it went went to the High Court, um, and they're they're continuing to to appeal and go through that process. Um, so that that was at the beginning of the pandemic, um, but we also had some some more positive developments in the the Heidi Crowter case. Can you tell us a bit about about what what that's all about? Yeah, Heidi Crowter is a remarkable uh, twenty five year old, I think now uh, twenty four twenty five year old uh, woman with Down syndrome who is uh, launching and has launched uh, a legal challenge against the UK's current uh, abortion law, and very specifically, she's challenging it on the fact that. Uh, under current abortion law in England, Wales and Scotland, and will soon uh, in the, come into effect in Northern Ireland, as it were, um, you're allowed to abort uh, a baby up to birth if they have a, a serious handicap, which is the terminology used in the legislation. And that's been interpreted since uh, that came into force. That's been interpreted to include things like cleft lip club foot and also down syndrome as well so approximately 74 percent of babies with down syndrome or predicted to have down syndrome uh, are aborted and in fact the number could be a lot higher in other parts of the world it is a lot higher and what Heidi's doing is she's saying well that's actually discrimination against people with disabilities because 
outside of the womb, we have the disability uh, rights movement, we have the Equalities Act of 2010, we have a culture that is increasingly recognizing that people with disabilities, including the Down syndrome community, have an immense contribution to make, but also that their value isn't just connected with what they can and can't do. Uh, yet we don't apply that same logic to uh, babies with Down syndrome in the womb. And what kind of message does it send to the Down syndrome community if what they're seeing and hearing from the media and from government is that, yes, it's absolutely fine. You can have even more time to abort if the baby has Down syndrome, because that's worse than, for example, if you simply don't want to keep your baby or you're under pressure from your, your partner. And I think this case is something that could be really historic. At the very least, it's going to allow the UK's abortion law to come under the spotlight in a way that it hasn't done and for the law to be tested against other principles and other laws. And that's no bad thing. So for Heidi and for husband James, this is such a huge undertaking. And I think uh, from those who've met her, and I know you're one of them, Naomi, she, she just is a remarkable person. So just encourage you to be praying for Heidi uh, over these coming months. It's got the uh, green light to proceed, which means it will go to the high court. So in the new year, 2021, I'm sure we'll see developments on that front. So that's been a huge positive. Another positive was uh, the domestic abuse bill that came to uh, Westminster, vital piece of legislation in our submission to uh, a committee that was doing what's called pre-legislative -legis scrutiny. Oh, um, we actually made the argument that this was a really important piece of legislation. It was necessary. It was needed. We made some suggestions for how it could be improved. And then we switched and we argued very strongly that what should not happen is the bill should not be hijacked by the abortion lobby to introduce what's called decriminalization of abortion. And what that means is abortion anytime, anywhere, for any reason, right the way through, essentially until birth, because that is ultimately what the pro-abortion lobby want. So the UK already has one of the most liberal abortion regimes anywhere in the world. And what they said was, that's not good enough for us. The mere fact that a woman could be criminalized by the current law in certain situations, very narrow situations, I hasten to add, that's not enough for them. They're like, that's outrageous. We want that removed. And we then had this really important bill that was to do with tackling domestic abuse, which is a huge problem in our society. And all anyone could talk about was, well, can we make abortion more available? Can we make it more widely accessible? And can we deal with a non-existent problem? Because since 1967, I think a grand total of three women have been criminalized under the abortion legislation. And when you look at their cases, there is every reason why they were criminalized. So the more I thought about it, the more I thought this is just such an outrageous attempt to use a good piece of legislation to do terrible evil. And we worked incredibly hard at CARE. We lobbied behind the scenes. We encouraged people to write to their MP about that piece of legislation. And we encourage them to make the point, this is a good bill, don't let it be hijacked by the abortion lobby. And praise God, the speaker decided in the end that the, the most damaging amendment, which was to introduce decriminalization, was not in scope of the bill. And there was another amendment that was more narrowly focused. And in the end, that amendment was withdrawn by uh, Dame Diana Johnson, who'd introduced it. So that was huge. And it was a reminder that everything is not lost when it comes yeah, to life. It's a yeah, and I think that. I think we were relieved, weren't we? Yes. Because this is something we've been preparing for at Care for a number of years. We we knew that many of those who um, support abortion 
in Parliament and outside of Parliament were going to use this bill. They, they'd been saying very clearly, we want to use a domestic abuse bill to introduce decriminalization of abortion. And so we, we've been gearing up for this. Um, and it was it was a real victory for us just to to see that this was withdrawn. It, it, there was there wasn't even a debate on it. It was just it was just not selected. Uh, but what actually did happen in the end in the domestic abuse bill, because we, we mentioned the home abortions um, case earlier on. This came back again. Diana Johnson introduced an amendment to have home abortions um, for the foreseeable future for all women, not just for domestic abuse victims. Can you tell us more what happened for those who, who weren't aware of what was going on at the time? Well, I mean, essentially where we're at with uh, with all of that is that, you know, th this temporary measure of home abortions um, is has carried on even since the first lockdown ended. And uh, it was sort of a the government's response was, well, you know, we're not we're not sure it's right to just kind of introduce this permanently, but we do think it's right to consult in order to get a wide variety of opinions. And so a consultation has already been launched, uh, not just in England, but also in Wales and, and in Scotland. Um, which is asking the question, should uh, home abortions be allowed to continue uh, sort of indefinitely, I suppose. And I think that the key thing to stress is that if you care about uh, not just the value of unborn babies, but if you also care about the, the protection of women and their safety and their security, then just ask yourself whether you think it's okay and right that a woman should have what is a very serious medical procedure uh, at home by herself and be responsible without any support to essentially um, clean up afterwards and, and all of that. Like, let, we almost have to hear the kind of brutality of it to really understand what's being proposed. And if you think that that is ultimately unsafe for women, and there's plenty of evidence to suggest that it is, then it's really important that you respond to the consultation. If you live in England, We've got until uh, end of February time. If you live in Wales, a similar length of time. In Scotland, the consultation was launched in September and closes the 5th of January. So CARE is preparing, finalising its uh, supporter guide and we'll be putting in a submission ourselves. And we're going to try everything we can to equip you to respond uh, wherever you live across the UK to respond to these consultations. So it's amazing that we're not in a situation right now where it has been made permanent and we have this opportunity to engage and to speak out and to do what God calls us to, which is be a voice for the voiceless. And we need to pray that our responses and the volume of responses that are received will so overwhelm the government that they go, there's no way that we can introduce this. It's too dangerous. Um, we need to look at some other arrangement or simply have things at least go back to the way they were, which is still terrible, but it's better and safer than what's been proposed. Absolutely. And, and it's important to remember that it's, yeah, it's, it's essential that as many people as possible respond to this consultation. But also we do want to thank God that this, the, the original amendment to get home abortions three for all women that was tabled to the domestic abuse bill, that that was withdrawn. And that was partly through concerns raised by those who support abortion in parliament, but were very concerned about the implications this would have in terms of women being coerced into having an abortion if there aren't those checks that happen face to face with a GP. So that was a real relief to see that, that instead the government said they, they would have a consultation gives us all the opportunity to, to raise these concerns. So, so that, that was a, a, a victory for us as well. Um, and of course, in the summer, we, we also had, so as well as the domestic abuse bill, it was a very busy time for care. We had no fault divorce introduced. Can you tell us a bit about what happened there? 
No Fault Divorce is something that's been championed by lawyers uh, across the country for a long time. Essentially, what they're doing is they've, they've changed the way in which you can now get a divorce. So it used to be the case that there were five grounds uh, under which you could get a divorce. And you had to provide proof, uh, proof of separation, for example, proof of abuse, proof of uh, irretrievable breakdown, that kind of thing. And what they've done is they've replaced the that, that system with... Uh, an approach whereby you can unilaterally seek a divorce and just because you want one, basically, hence no-fault divorce. And while there are interesting arguments to be had around uh, divorce and its impact on children and a long and messy divorce and how traumatic that can be, I think what was noticeably absent in the public debate was any acknowledgement that actually, let's go back to first principles and say that divorce itself is not a good thing that anything that makes separating a marriage, divorcing a marriage easier is not a good thing from a Christian perspective because it devalues and undermines the institution of marriage. And as old fashioned as it might sound, if, if you're a Bible believing Christian, you cannot take any other position than to recognize that from the very, very beginning, right Genesis one and two, there's a marriage with God himself officiating at it. I mean, he creates the celebrants of that marriage. And guess what? They're male and they're female. Adam and Eve come together in a lifelong union and they stayed together. And the only reason you had divorce in the Bible was because of sin. So the only reason Moses gave a certificate of divorce was because of hard heartedness. And Jesus comes in uh, the flesh and he says in his public ministry that actually God made the male and female what God has joined together, let no one separate. And so we take the view at CARE that marriage uh, is the gold standard for commitment and should be upheld. And here was a piece of legislation that was going to uh, massively undermine that, making divorce easier, not a good thing. And of course, that will then have terrible consequences for children, because the real harm to children is not the process of divorce, as difficult as that can be, it's the consequence of mums and dads no longer being together that does the real harm. And so um, we made lots of arguments in Parliament. We worked with MPs and peers to promote a better view of marriage. But I think it is a measure of where we are as a society that uh, that was uh, voted through so quickly. And it was voted through despite the fact that when the government did its public consultation on these proposals, a overwhelming, eye-wateringly high majority of people who responded to that consultation said, don't do this. And they effectively just ignored all of that and went, well, we're going to do it anyway. So it is, it is uh, one of those examples whereby Christians need to recognize, I think, that sometimes we are called to act and to speak out and to be faithful, even though it doesn't lead to the success that, that we want and we're looking for. But that doesn't mean that it was wasted and it doesn't mean that it was wrong. Um, we see so many examples. I mean, Jeremiah, God said to Jeremiah, go and preach. And by the way, they won't listen to you, mm, but preach mm. anyway. And I think that spirit, we need to keep that because if we Definitely. don't speak out, then who will? Yeah. And I think another example of that where, you know, we at CARE and, and of course, we encourage our supporters to um, just keep keep trusting in God. Um, another example of this was that the NI abortion regulations mm. that went through and this was you know, really heartbreaking for everyone involved, particularly those in Northern Ireland and our, our colleagues in Northern Ireland, um, to see their their society go through this huge shift and they fought so long. Um, could you just touch a bit on on that? So those those went through in the summer. Um, Care continued to to fight those to the end. Can you um, just tell us a bit about what happened? 
Yeah, the Northern Ireland situation has been one of the greatest tragedies, I think, that we've seen um, at CARE since our, our beginning, really. Mm. Um, Northern Ireland was unique as the only part of the UK that had a life-affirming law in place. Uh, it permitted abortion only in cases where the mother's life was at risk. And there had always been debates around changing the law there. And perhaps, for example, allowing it in cases of uh, what's called fatal fetal abnormality and allowing it in cases of uh, rape and incest. But uh, generally speaking, uh, the line had been held and, and it was a, a, pro, a more pro-life culture, shall we say. And um, in 2017, the uh, Northern Ireland executive collapsed and um, that meant that Westminster essentially had to kind of um, uh, intervene on a number of things to try and keep the society functioning in Northern Ireland. And then there was this bizarre attempt to hijack what was a very routine bill, which was just to extend the period of negotiations to get the assembly back up and running. And it was hijacked by pro-abortion MPs to fundamentally change Northern Ireland's abortion law uh, and to introduce a law there that is even more extreme than the one we have in Great Britain. So sadly that was passed back in October, 2019, uh, an amazing response from people in Northern Ireland, 20,000 walked on Stormont, as it were, um, in a peaceful uh, demonstration against what was happening. And there were so many other examples of people speaking out and people traveling over to uh, Westminster to make representations to British politicians to say, back off, don't do this. Uh, we made the argument again and again and again, that quite apart from the morality of what was being proposed, this was undermining devolution. And how could the UK government have any credibility to say that it was pro-union, pro-devolution when it was undermining it in this drastic way? And then what happened was in 2020, so this year, was regulations were needed, which would put into effect the law change that had already been approved. And so this was an opportunity to potentially stop it, or at the very least, to make everybody think again, um, and so again, we worked with members of the House of Lords, MPs, uh, to try and rally support. We had people writing into uh, their MPs uh, and peers about this. And unfortunately, the regulations did go through. And so Northern Ireland has gone from a law thanks to which 100,000 people are alive today in Northern Ireland because it never passed the 1967 Abortion Act, um, to a law that essentially allows abortion uh, for any reason right the way through to, uh, I think it's 28 weeks, uh, up to birth in cases of serious disability, which is anything like Great Britain will mean minor disabilities, treatable disabilities like club foot, cleft lip, Down syndrome as well. Um, and uh, it's actually, um, in terms of uh, its permissiveness and its extent, it is more liberal than what we have in Great Britain. And so Northern Ireland has gone from the best part of the UK from a pro-life perspective to the worst. Um, and that's despite an overwhelming response from people in Northern Ireland who said, not in our name, and mm. British politicians, the UK government have to, you know, be accountable for the fact that they ignored that and they did it mm. anyway. So that was really difficult. And yeah. I think it's helpful for people to understand that when you work on these causes, uh, there's a certain sense in which you learn to kind of shield yourself from some of the emotional toll that it can take. But because we're all human, like you, and because we're exposed to such evil and sin, and um, we can feel very isolated, very lonely, and incredibly affected by what happens. Um, and so 
that was a good example of a, of a cause where we saw something happen that just really, really, really kind of grieved everybody and especially our colleagues in Northern Ireland. So that was really tough. It was really mm. tough. It's probably the lowest point of 2020. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think it kind of came around the same time as the no fault divorce bill, um, but but the domestic abuse bill as well and, and the victory we saw there. So it's just the nature of our work that we often have all these different things going on in tandem, some that are really good and positive and some that are, are really heartbreaking. And mm. um, we just have to keep keep trusting God in, in the midst of all of that. Um, so that that was that was the summertime and and kind of the autumn's been pretty busy as well for us. So uh, we had um, modern slavery was a topic that came up in the autumn. Our uh, good friend Lord McCall, who we've worked with for many years, and um, he managed to um, secure uh, well he, he was fighting to secure the rights of human trafficking victims after Brexit because their some of their rights would have would have been removed. Um, what was the outcome of that in the end? Because we we worked hard in the Lords on that one. Yeah, basically, um, we spotted that there was a real danger that uh, the rights of non-slavery victims post-Brexit would be um, quite seriously undermined. And what Lord McCall managed to do was, was really two things. One was to uh, get a small concession from the government, um, which means it won't be as bad as it was going to be. And then secondly, he managed to get more publicity for his really important bill, his private members bill, the non-slavery victim support bill, which CARE is wholeheartedly supporting along with our 27 partners in the Free for Good coalition. And this bill would give confirmed victims in England and Wales a minimum of 12 months support and leave to remain. And that support is monetary assistance, advice, housing, and just someone to be there for them as they seek to navigate coming out of slavery and rebuilding their lives. And it, you have to give people the help that they need in these situations because their lives have been shattered and it needs investment, long-term investment, if they're ever going to be able to live free. So I think um, that was a win in that uh, not only were we able to identify a problem that no one else had seen, but we were also able to work effectively within Westminster with your help. And, and of course, this is the background to everything that we celebrate at CARE, is that we don't celebrate it uh, by ourselves. We, we celebrate it with you because it's your support, whether that's prayer or uh, financial giving that actually enables our work to carry on. And if you think about it, just what we've talked about here, we've talked about start of life, we've talked about uh, consultations, we've talked about votes in Parliament, we've talked about Northern Ireland, we're going to talk about Scotland, we're talk we've talked about Westminster. In all of the parliaments and assembly of the UK, CARE is active, and that is only possible because of your help. And wins like the one we saw in the domestic abuse bill and uh, securing at least some extra protections for confirmed victims of modern slavery post-Brexit, that only happens because of your support. Um, change only happens if you're willing to partner with us. And uh, we just want to say thank you to all of you who have made that possible. So that was really encouraging. And we're still fighting on that front because there's still a lack of clarity. But there have been really productive meetings uh, about the Lord McCall Modern Slavery Victim Support Bill. And we're just going to keep banging that drum mm. because we think that until the government adopts that bill, uh, modern slavery victims post-Brexit are going to be sold short. And mm. that cannot be allowed to carry on. So, um, yeah, we're looking forward to seeing what God does on that front in mm. 2021. And of course, related to that would be what's been going on around criminalizing the purchase of sex, because anyone that has engaged with um, some of the, the, our arguments on this 
the demand for human trafficking is significantly reduced if there's less demand for paid sex. Um, so we've got stuff going on in Scotland. Uh, we've got a, a consultation, the Scottish government. Um, and we've also got uh, Diana Johnson again has um, recently had a 10 minute rule bill um, that would uh, that was calling for criminalizing the purchase of sex. Can you just very briefly touch on what that what what that entails? Yeah, so in Scotland, um, the consultation closed on the 10th of December, and it's part of the government's, Scottish government's kind of long-term uh, equally safe strategy, and they're challenging male demand for prostitution because it is predominantly driven by men, and uh, they're looking at a number of proposals, one of which would be to make it illegal to buy sex in Scotland. Now, the only part of the UK where that offence exists is Northern Ireland, and the reason it exists there is because a pioneer called Lord Morrow took uh, the first, the UK's first bit of dedicated human trafficking legislation through the Northern Ireland Assembly. Care worked as his principal advisor. Uh, we wrote the bill and it includes the, the section 15 it's called, which makes it illegal to buy sex in Northern Ireland. Scottish government exploring the same thing. And now Dame Diana Johnson, uh, who is our adversary when it comes to abortion issues, but is an ally when it comes to this particular cause, which uh, if I can just digress a bit, it is a rare example, I think, of how care tries to operate. Um, I know some people, they can never forgive Diana Johnson for what she's done on the abortion front. But I think what care seeks to do always is we will, uh, as it were, work against you if you are seeking to do damage to the value of life. But where you are proposing laws and legislation that will protect vulnerable people, uh, even if we don't like and disagree with what you're doing over here, we will work with you to uh, see that positive change happen. So her bill is a 10 minute rule motion. It's passed its first reading. It would make it illegal to buy sex in England uh, and in Wales. It's uh, be interesting to see where it goes. Um, more and more countries around the world are adopting this, uh, this model of, of banning the purchase of sex. And from our point of view at CARE, it, the bottom line is very simple. We think that people were made by God for purpose, not for purchase. And so because we want to see um, demand for paid sex reduced, and because if you do that, you then reduce exploitation, you reduce abuse, you reduce prostitution levels. And if you do that, you reduce human trafficking levels. And if you do that, you reduce the most amount of harm for the most amount of people. Um, and so that's why we support this kind of legislation. So it's very exciting to see that bill passing its first reading recently. And who knows where that will go. And we're praying, too, that Scotland will follow Northern Ireland's lead and they'll be bold enough, the Scottish government, to really go for it and say, we're going to make it illegal. We're going to fight down the voices of the pro-prostitution lobby that says it's just another job. It's not just another job. It's absolutely ridiculous to say that. This is something that is largely driven by other factors, not personal choice, such as economic uh, factors, personal abuse, substance abuse. It is a horrific and horrendous trade. Uh, and the sooner we can introduce laws to tackle it, the better. Absolutely. And just finally, so going back to Scotland again, so uh, we've got the, the Scottish hate crime bill, which I know has generated a lot of interest, a lot of controversy. Um, what are we looking at here? There's a, there's a very important going on, in fact, this very day um, on that bill. Could you just um, elaborate a bit on that? So the Hate Crime and Public Order Scotland uh, bill is uh, a Scottish government bill. It's uh, bringing together all the different um, hate crime laws into one place. And uh, one of the real problems with any hate crime legislation is it's the simple fact of, well, it's very, very subjective because 
for example, what does hate speech mean? So hate speech is often part of hate crime laws and hate speech, how do you define that? Uh, who gets to decide what constitutes hate speech? What one person finds offensive, another person is it's like their creed, it's their badge of honor. Um, and there are a number of parts of the hate crime bill in Scotland that are concerning, in particular, um, clauses to do with stirring up uh, offense. How do you prove that? Um, clauses to do with uh, being picked up for things that you might say even in the comfort of your own home and being uh, jeopardized for that. Um, and other things to do with uh, materials that might be written that could be deemed offensive. And for Christians, what if that means the Bible? Uh, what if that means that passages in the Bible that condemn specific sexual activities are judged to be hate speech? And how is it right that a human judge would make that call or uh, police Scotland would make that call? And the free speech safeguards, and there are some in the, the draft legislation, are simply not strong enough. And so Care for Scotland has been arguing that the bill should be withdrawn. Um, what's going to happen most likely is that um, there will be further changes made to it. And if the free speech clauses can be strengthened enough, then I think you'll have something that is vaguely workable. Um, but free speech is something that we've taken for granted for a long, long time. We saw a recent win. Cambridge University were about to introduce a terribly draconian measure that every student and lecturer and visitor to the campus would have to sign up to respect uh, differing views. I mean, again, it's just this, it's mind bogglingly stupid because how do you assess that? How do you judge that? Uh, anyway, lots of academics rightly kicked up a fuss and, and they won. And that policy will not now be adopted by Cambridge, which is great. So there is a growing kind of backlash in the country uh, around free speech issues and uh, the challenge as ever in Scotland. And we're going to see similar things down in England as well, because the Law Commission are proposing to make some very big changes to the Public Order Act, which is the piece of legislation primarily governing what you can and can't say in the public square in England and in Wales. And um, free speech, hate crime legislation, it's always difficult because it raises such big questions about who gets to decide and, and what free speech actually look like. And the experience around Europe tends to suggest that the moment you introduce hate crime laws, you're just asking for trouble and Christians do seem to get caught up in them more often than not. So the Scottish hate crime bill still got a long way to go before it becomes law. And so we're going to need all of you living in Scotland to continue to stand with us. And our commitment to you is that we will resource you, we will help you, we will equip you to respond effectively to all of the latest changes and twists and turns uh, in the story of the Scottish Government's hate crime bill. So more free speech concerns, I'm sure, will come up in 2021. Oh, well, thank you so much, James, for giving us that overview of 2020. It's been a, a challenging year, but we have really seen, as, as we've discussed, we've really seen some amazing victories um, God has been faithful to us um, and, and we can trust him. Um, so yeah, we just want to say thank you to, to all of you who've been listening to the Carecast and, and joining us on YouTube or Spotify, wherever you listen. Uh, we just want to thank you so much for joining us. This podcast was a new endeavour for us this year as well. Um, and we, we tried to uh, rise to the occasion uh, in the pandemic and, and move everything more digitally. Um, but yeah, we just want to thank you for all your support for this year. And uh, we really pray God would uh, give you a blessed Christmas and New Year and um, please join us again in 2021 where we will I'm sure have more challenges that we face and more victories. Um, James any any final thoughts closing off 2020? Yeah just you know what from CARE's point of view particularly from Naomi and myself and our colleagues in the communications team it's just been such a massive year for us we had a 
new brand, new logo, new website in January 2020, new podcasts, which you're currently watching or listening to. It's available also on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Wherever you want your podcast, you will find the Carecast. So do please subscribe, rate us. We've also seen huge growth on Facebook, which is so exciting. And this is not about trying to build an empire. This is about trying to build a community of engaged followers and supporters of our ministry and our work. And we want people young and old to join with us in seeking positive change in our society and culture. So uh, please, in 2021, uh, connect with our ministry by liking our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter. If you're watching this on YouTube, subscribe to our YouTube channel. We want to see the numbers rise and rise because we want more and more people to stand with us and make a difference. So wherever you are, there's so many ways you can connect with us. And it's been a really exciting year on that front. And who knows what God's going to do through this ministry in 2021. But, you know, genuinely, I am actually excited about 2021. I think everyone is. I think everyone is sort of in that feeling of like, let's leave 2020 behind and let's start a new year. It never happened. happened. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, James. And uh, yeah, God bless you, everyone. And uh, we'll see you in 2021. See you then. You've been listening to The Carecast. Remember to subscribe to get the latest episodes and find out more about the work of care on care.org.uk. Care for what you believe.